Empire. Welcome to In the Clubhouse, a podcast about the Washington Nationals and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Richard. In this episode, I sit down with the brand new Washington Nationals beat reporter for The Atlantic, Maria Torres. During the episode, we discuss what it is like coming to cover the Washington Nationals from covering the LA Angels, and we will talk to her about her observations about how the Washington Nationals are built this year. Of course, we're going to be diving into from the to the latest information from West Palm Beach and spring training. So, let's go into the clubhouse. Thank you, Maria, for coming into the clubhouse to talk about Washington Nationals baseball. No problem. Thank you for having me. So, since you are new to the Nationals beat, would you mind just giving the listeners a little bit about yourself and how did you get into covering baseball and what have been some of your favorite experiences so far in covering baseball? All right. Oh, that's a lot. Uh, so, I guess I, I got into covering baseball because I didn't really know what else I really wanted to do. Um, when I went into college, I knew that I liked to write and I knew that I liked watching baseball. So, I decided I'm just going to try to put these two together. Um, funny enough, like when I was like deciding what my career should be, I was actually like following the nationals a lot at the time. Um, I was, I was a Braves fan growing up because I grew up in, in Atlanta or just South of Atlanta. And, um, but I came on a Bra- as a Braves fan right at the end of the 14 year division string. Um, so after that, like the Braves weren't all that great, but the nationals were starting to come up. So it was kind of fun to to kind of just pick a second team to also pay attention to. Um, So I have like a pretty, not, not as vivid as it could be now, but I have a pretty clear memory of like when, when Strasburg first came up and all that surrounded, all the attention that surrounded him then um, and how that season ended and, you know, just the battles over the years. So um, I always kind of had a soft spot in my, in my heart for the nationals too. So it's kind of cool to get the chance to cover them now. Um, I first like started as a baseball writer, like as an MLB.com intern, uh, right at the end, uh, right after I graduated college, um, I covered the Marlins for, uh, the rest of the 2014 season after I graduated. Um, and after that, I kind of, you know, just as a newspaper person does, you kind of just like work your way through, through a couple of places and kind of work your way up from high schools up to, to colleges to pros. I skipped college. Thankfully, I don't ever think I want to college, cover college sports. That seems like a whole other <laughs> thing. I much prefer to have control over exactly what I do and who I can talk to. Um, so like, long story short, I ended up in Kansas City um, for two and a half years, my last like eight months there, I covered the Royals as a, as a full-time beat writer. And that was my first time as a full-time beat writer. That was the one year of the season of 2018. Um, so it happened, it happened to be, uh, the year where the nationals and Royals made a couple of trades there, Brian Goodwin being one of them. And then, um, uh, Kelvin Herrera, another one, I think those were two separate trades actually. So, um, the next season, uh, got on at the LA Times and I covered the Angels for the next two and a half seasons, I guess you could put it that way. And now here we are, we're at the Athletic covering the Nationals back on the East Coast. So I'm, I'm really excited about that part. 
Awesome. Welcome back to the East Coast. Um, from a national perspective, or you know, specifically, I guess, a California perspective, what have you been? What is, have been your impressions of the team over the past couple of years? Um, and now that you're covering the team more on a day to day basis, have those impressions changed? Um, if so, how? Oh, interesting question. I hadn't really, I hadn't really given that much thought. I think generally over the last ten years. Uh, I think you could probably make a pretty good case that they've tried that the Nationals have tried to be competitive the whole time. Um, there wasn't really it was kind of a bit of a power vacuum there, I think. Um, so they kind of capitalize on that. And um, you know, obviously once once Harper left, the question was whether or not their young stars could could carry them and answer was yes. So um, I, I think like from a national perspective, the nationals, um, have been looked at like as a pretty competitive team, um, not you know a kick, you know not a pushover or anything like that. So um, I, don't, I don't think my impression has changed on that end. I think they're still, I mean, especially this year, just because they've reloaded on the in the bullpen and um, made some moves in the lineup that could be good if everyone you know actually meets the expectations that they that the Nationals have set for them. Um, they're still a team that is kind of compete. Uh, in the in the division, and so it's a really deep division now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it'll just be an interesting team to cover for that reason, because they're a team that's not just trying to get by; like they're actually actively trying to compete for postseason berth. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. Like having the Nationals be very competitive over the the course of the years, and now the NL East is going to be probably one of the toughest divisions. Like what are, what are some of the, you know, main challenges you think the nationals are going to have um, coming into the year? Um, I think probably the main challenge is the lineup. Uh, I think the rotation kind of speaks for itself. I mean, as long as Scherzer gets rid of the ankle sprain and he's going to, he's on track, he's fine. Um, And Strasburg rebounds from, from the carpal tunnel surgery, which he also said he's feeling good. Um, those two question marks are set. Patrick Corbin has things that he can work on to get better. And I think everyone has that. I don't think the trends from last year are anything to be too worried about um, on the starting rotation end. And the addition of John Lester helps to deepen the rotation. So I think the rotation's fine. The bullpen also seems to be in pretty good shape. Um, Monday, the Nationals added uh, on a minor league deal granted uh, Jeremy Jeffress, a former All-Star who had a bad follow-up to his All-Star year, but kind of rebounded a little bit in 2020. Um, so he's a good, he could be a good option for the back end of the bullpen, which already looks pretty good, especially with the addition of Brad Hand late in the offseason. So I think the lineup is the main question, and the, the biggest one being, you know, whether or not Carter Keeboom can can actually hit and be worth the spot in the lineup. Um, I think defensively he showed that he can he can handle the position fine. Um, it's whether or not he can actually come back to what he showed in the minor leagues um, and you know face major league pitching, which from what I can gather, um, a lot of it had to, a lot of his issues had to do a little bit with with kind of hesitancy at the plate. Um, not so much. I mean, it wasn't like an over aggressiveness. I think, I think from what I understand that Davey Martinez actually asked him to be more aggressive and not take as many walks. 
Um, so I think that confidence, as long as he has that and he's able to like use that to his advantage, like he should be able to take a step forward. Um, the other questions, of course, like Victor Robles in center field, he is said to have lost some weight over the offseason and, and to have improved his agility. So that'll be good defensively. And then offensively, we'll, we'll have to see um, whether or not he can he can carry his own weight there. Um, uh, another, you know, also in the outfield, Kyle Schwarber, whether or not he can go back to what he normally is. And now, now Kyle Schwarber, you have to understand that he's not someone who's going to hit for average, but he is someone who will hit for power and he'll get on base. So, yeah, he's going to strike out, but he's going to generally be productive um, if he's feeling good at the plate. And 2020 was a bad year, but he's never had a full season where he's produced less than an OPS plus of 99. So, um, and I mean a full season. Not, I don't mean like, you know, one where he was called up for a little while or one where he um, only played a, or was injured or something like that. I mean, a full season. He's never had a season worse than OPS plus of, of 99. So that's a good track record. Josh Bell's probably the one that you don't really know as much about more of an X, more of an X factor there um, because he had a really good 2019, but not so great 2020. Um, and he, he had to work on his like, like bat, just like his swing. I think his like, just kind of like some mechanics in, at the plate. So um, he's probably the bigger question mark, but the good thing is that it's kind of a natural platoon at first base there with, with him and Zimmerman. Um, so it's a lot of question marks in the lineup more than anywhere else. Yeah. Like looking at this year, obviously last year was like a really interesting year. A lot of people don't even consider it like, you know, in their stats. Like, where do you kind of like fall on that uh, conversation? I'll go de definitely where the players lead on that end. Um, I think it's a little harder um for the relievers than anything because they played so sparingly i mean relievers generally obviously they play in more in more games than starters but they just didn't get the same type of workload that they usually get to kind of normalize and relievers being as volatile volatile as they are um it's hard enough for them to kind of determine like what the trends are so it'll, it'll probably be easier for relievers to kind of discount what um, 2020 meant for them. Um, but also like, I mean, everything is just such a small sample. So you have to take everything with that kind of that caveat. I don't, I don't really know where I feel, where I stand on it. I think I'm just going to let the players tell me whether or not they think um, it was an aberration or, you know, it was, you know, it was just, it is what it is. How did you feel um, covering a baseball team during COVID last year? Like, what was some of your experiences? It was kind of, I mean, I covered a team that, well, I mean, I guess, I think they had a pretty similar record to the Nationals, if I'm not mistaken. I think they, I think the Angels might have mm -hmm. finished around the same, around the same record. Mm -hmm. um, it was pretty miserable. <laughs> it was just, it was just a bad experience because it was bad baseball for a little while. Um, especially at the beginning, it kind of started to come together in September. So that kind of made it fun for a couple of weeks, but in general, from the on-field product perspective, not great from the perspective of like being in my chair and covering the team in a remote fashion. That was also really hard because there weren't, a, there weren't any opportunities for doing one-on-one -on -one interviews. There weren't really any opportunities to kind of break out of the mold that this team was kind of setting for you. Um, 
you got to be creative uh, with what they gave you and also kind of recognize that there's not going to be a lot of opportunity to talk to people outside of those Zoom calls just because in many of the cases, like the players, I mean, the reason that, I mean, the way that we do our jobs best is because we're able to be around the ball players every day and we can catch them in the clubhouse. We can catch them on the way out of the dugout, something like that. Um, but getting someone to agree to a phone interview during a day when they're not even at the ballpark yet, that's really hard to manage. Mm. Um, so that, that just made the job so much harder and not as, not as fun because like we're basically just relying on whoever is being put in front of us on zoom. Um, and sometimes those players just aren't really all that interesting, not for any fault of their own. I mean, they're just kind of like their, their stories aren't really like what the fans care about. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the diehard fans definitely will probably care about, you know, I, I, there's no point going into the names of the angels that, you know, <laughs> angel fans might care about, but, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just like a lot of, you probably have a good, like, a, like touchstone for who might be like that person for a Nationals fan. Well, you, um, you covered a fan favorite last year for the angels, Anthony Rendon. I wouldn't be my colleagues would be really remiss and annoyed that I didn't ask you an Anthony Rendon question. Um, you know, obviously we got to see him up close and personal for a long time, really develop into a player. Um, you know, what, what was it like, um, you know, from what you saw last year covering him at, in a new team, in a new city, um, in, in a basically a new division? Yeah, he was, he was interesting. Um, not not talking to him not that not not from that perspective because we didn't really talk to him much um but in terms of like watching him play especially because he actually got off to like a historically bad start for his like mm -hmm. his standards um it was like 10 games in so again it was like really not worth like pointing out but i did think it was interesting because it was like the worst he had ever been in this like 10 or 12 game span um, so like, you know, you're looking at like 50 at, or 50 at bats or plate appearances or something like that. So, um, I like broke that down and then like two days later he like snaps out of it and then he becomes like MVP caliber Anthony Rendon. And so that's kind of what was kind of cool to watch is like, he, I mean, he, he's like, yeah, he'll, he'll fall into a slump, but he's not going to worry too much about it. He'll break out of it and he'll be, he'll be back and good as new. Um, and then of course, like just defensively, he, he's very solid defensively too. So um yeah he's he's definitely up there in terms of like the caliber of player that you you enjoy to watch bringing it back to the east coast and nationals baseball um you know so you talked a little bit about like the outfield um are you excited about like covering any specific nationals um obviously maybe juan soto um you know what's your what's your opinion on uh the Nats' uh, perspective of doing a platoon at, in cat, at catcher. Um, we talked about the bullpen, so just kind of get your overall thoughts going around the infield. I, I think I'll be watching. I think the catcher situation is really interesting because coming in with um, Jan Gomes, who isn't really who wasn't really a backup, he kind of was just kind of sharing the role previously, and now is kind of going to be more of a starter. But will he be more of a starter? Is the question just because. They also signed Alex Avila, someone who has experience with three of the five starters already in Corbin and, and Scherzer and in Lester. So clearly has a level of 
confidence and a good relationship with those guys. Not that Jan Gomes doesn't, but I mean, there's a good chance that they might share more of the workload than might be made out to be at the beginning. And that's not a bad thing. Um, I think generally speaking, teams do fine when there's like two catchers, like sharing the load. It's a lot of work, uh, a lot of game planning, a lot of like managing game calling, all of that kind of stuff is it's not easy for one person to handle, especially not one person to handle the brunt of it um, physically as well. So um, that'll just be an interesting storyline to watch to see just how the catchers work together and how they work with their, with the starters. And of course, like we know, when it comes to like first base, we'll, we'll want to, we'll have to keep an eye on, on Zimmerman and what he's doing, whether or not he's thinking about like retiring at the end of the year. Um, if he wants to play any longer, um, you know, how, how does Josh Bell, uh, like, you know, adjust to, to being potentially a platoon player? Will he, um, will he emerge as someone who could take over first base in the long run? Uh, Trey Turner, another, another good story. Um, I think he has what, two years left, including this year. Um, yep. is, is, is he going to be extended anytime soon? should the nationals try to do that and make sure he's locked in because they don't have a guarantee of anybody else really staying as a lifetime national, um, at the moment. So, I mean, Soto, but like Soto still has many years away from even being a free agent. So that's, that's not likely to be, to be hammered out anytime soon. So it's probably a good idea for the nationals to start thinking about whether or not they need to, um, sign Trey Turner long-term. Um, we've already talked about key boom and, yeah, I mean those are those are the main stories there. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I guess I guess I I'm haven't so really looked at second base either. So I mean that that's my bad. I've not really brushed up on the second base situation at the moment. <laughs> it's okay. We won't hold it against you. Um, so more of like a technical question. Um, are you in West Palm Beach right now for spring training, um, or are you kind of like covering it remotely? For the time far. being, I'm covering uh, this covering spring training remotely. I hope to be in spring training really soon, but I'm not sure exactly when that'll happen. Um, having experience um, last year, you know, covering, I'm sure you were at the facility. What is it kind of like, um, you know, covering spring training from afar? Um, and where do you think, like, how does that impact your coverage of the team? Well, it's definitely weird. Um, it's also very difficult because you're, I mean, the, the national PR staff is doing a really good job of making sure that we you can see like videos of like what's going on on the field, um, or I guess on the practice fields, but you obviously can't see everything at once and you couldn't do that in person anyhow, but like, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, you can hear the sounds for one and you could, you can talk to people and you can. Uh, just the network, the way that you spend spring training, spring training, a lot of spring training is just networking with like the different coaches, just kind of getting to know people around the organization, mm-hmm. including the players, but especially like, you know, scouts, like other like lower level front office people. Um, that's the way that that reporters like establish their sources. So like um, from from that standpoint, it's really difficult to cover spring training from a Zoom call because you don't see everything that's going on. You don't know everyone who know who is around, um, you kind of rely on, on word of mouth. And generally speaking, that's not a good thing to rely on, um, no matter how reliable the source is. So um, that just that, that adds like that degree of, of complication to, to everything. But from my personal 
standpoint, it's also a little different because I'm not covering a team for a newspaper anymore. So it's not really necessary for me to like worry about every little thing that happens in spring training like I would have been last year. I see. That's interesting. Um, what like Washington National are you looking forward to like covering the most? Uh, I mean, I think Juan Soto is probably the top the top one I'm looking forward to kind of getting to know and try to peel back some more layers on him and his story. I would say Steven Strasburg, but he seems like a hard one to crack, so I don't think he's really on the list. Um, <laughs> uh, it'll be really interesting just to see like Scherzer up close all the time because uh, he's like someone who's I've only, only ever watched from afar. Um, so to see kind of how he operates on on a weekly basis will be really interesting. Um, I'd say those are the main people. Awesome. Great. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So thank you so much for coming. Um, where could people, you know, read your stuff, find you on social media, uh, you know, that type of stuff. You can read uh, my stuff at theathletic.com slash nationals. Uh, you could also follow the athletic app or sorry, download the app and subscribe that way. Um, and, you know, just follow nationals content on that, on that form. Uh, and also follow me on Twitter at Maria underscore Torres three. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm looking forward uh, to reading your stuff and sharing it with our readers and our viewers and our listeners. Um, have a safe and uh, healthy trip over on the, to the East coast and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks so much, Richard. I appreciate thank, it. Thank you. And this will do it for this episode of In the Clubhouse. If you like this episode, please make sure to like, review, and rate this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And you can follow us on all the major social media channels at The Nats Report. 